Good morning. Hey, it is, uh, it is such a privilege for me to be here today. Um, the first time I came to your church was several months ago when you had the comedian Brad Stein here. I brought my 15-year-old son with me, who's with me this morning, by the way, uh, and we loved it. How many of you guys were here for that? That was a fantastic uh, concert, or, or uh, comedian show, thank you. Um, but I have to tell you that when I was there that day, that night, uh, the last thing I was thinking about was that I, the next time I was here, I would be up here on the stage speaking to you guys. But I'm excited to be here today, and I'm excited because uh, for most of my adult life, uh, I spent out in the workplace. And then for the last five years, I've had the opportunity to invest my life in, in helping men and women just like you learn how to take our Sunday faith and walk it into our, our Monday work. And I'm passionate about this idea of faith and work because I know firsthand uh, how hard it is to come in here in a place like this and be encouraged in church on Sunday and then walk into your work on Monday and actually live it out. It's, it's, it's like, you know, when you come in here Sunday and your pastor Mike gives you some great teaching, you know, but until we're intentional, until we're intentional about actually applying what we're learning, we're really just getting more information. But there's no life change. There's no transformation. There's just more information. And that's really been my story. I, I, I've been a poster child Sunday Christian most of my adult life, where I would come in here and go to church and I'd take notes, sometimes, you know, weep, really have great intentions. But then on Monday, I would go back to work and I'd be David Roth, the career guy. And I would play by all those rules that it seems that the world kind of teaches us we need to play by in our work. And so my prayer for, for us today, whether you work out in the workplace, whether you work at home as a stay-at-home mom or dad, who, who, by the way, probably have the hardest jobs of any of us, whether you work as a student in your studying, whether you work as a, a retiree and a volunteer, my prayer for us, especially in this economy, where fear and anxiety can kind of push our hope to the side, my hope for today is that you'll hear something this morning that you'll commit to be intentional about implementing in your life at work tomorrow. Will you pray with me before we get started? Father, uh, we thank you for Sundays. We thank you for the opportunity to come in here into a special place like this special church and just worship and learn and grow. And this morning, Father, as, uh, as I share this special story, this really cool story about this man who left a legacy through his work, just pray, Father, that each person here would be able to see their own lives in this story and that we would learn how to work with you Monday through Friday. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about five years ago, I met a man who faced many of the same dilemmas that, uh, that we face here today. I actually had a close friend that recommended that I meet this man and, and, to, and spend some time with this man, and so I did. And I learned that 
that this man had a very impressive uh, job. I learned that one day while he was at work, he got some really, really bad news. In fact, he was so moved by this news that he went to his boss and he said, hey, I want to leave this executive position that I have, this executive job, and I want to go back to where my family is from. And I want to, I want to work there. And it was a huge job. Some would have said it was an impossible job. And I learned, though, that this man had a plan. And he rallied the people there in that, in that town to accomplish the plan. And they even had severe competition. They had people back in that city who did not want to see this leader succeed in his new job. But this man was ready for all challenges that would come his way. Do you know who this man is? Any ideas? Nehemiah. This man is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my heroes. Uh, He's one of my heroes because when I first read that story over five years ago, the Bible just came alive for me. It came alive for me. It came alive for me because for the first time really in my life, I could see myself in the story. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you'll be able to see yourself in this story and be able to apply it to your lives. Let me set the stage for you for our story. The city, the location is basically Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has been sacked. It's been attacked, destroyed, and all the remaining Jews that survived that have basically been exiled to Babylon. And Babylon is where our hero lives. That's where Nehemiah lives. And he's got this executive job, this executive position in the government. He has kind of a strange job, though, and a strange title. His title was cupbearer to the king. And what the cupbearer to the king did was basically taste the wine before he served it to the king and the queen. So that if if the wine was poisoned, it would kill Nehemiah instead of the king or the queen. Pretty bizarre job, isn't it? Well, as you might imagine, he didn't have a lot of uh, organizational uh, authority or responsibility with this job, but he had tremendous influence because of the relationship and the trust that the king and the queen had to have in him. Well, the story starts like this. You know, you just never know when something's going to happen in your life that's going to change your life forever. And for Nehemiah, that day happened when he met several men who came back from a pilgrimage uh, in Jerusalem. And they shared this very, very bad news with him. They basically told him that, that the people of Jerusalem were in grave trouble, that the wall surrounding the city, the once powerful, mighty wall surrounding the city, was in shambles. And this news just crushed Nehemiah. It crushed him. He, the Bible says that he, that he wept and that for several days he fasted and he prayed. Have you ever had something hit you like that? I mean, he, Nehemiah couldn't, he couldn't shake it. He couldn't forget about it. For four months, the Bible says, he prayed about how he could go and talk to his boss, the king, and, and see if he would allow him to go back to Jerusalem to take on this job. Well, one day, towards the end of that four months, four months of prayer, the king noticed that Nehemiah was sad in his presence. And in those days, if you were sad in the presence of the king, he might have you killed. Now, fortunately, our bosses don't have that card to play now or we might all be in in big trouble. But the Bible says 
that Nehemiah was very much afraid and that he prayed to the God of heaven before he answered the king. And then he answered the king. And he told him about his passion to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild this wall around the the city of Jerusalem and to help the settlers who had relocated there. And I just love this scene. Can you picture this? Everybody in the room is just staring at the king, wondering what his response is going to be. Nehemiah's got to be standing over there. His heart's pounding out of his chest. He's going, I can't believe I said all this to the king. Am I going to live or am I going to die? And then the Bible says, it pleased the king to send me. It pleased the king to send me. And not only did it please the king to send him, but he granted all of Nehemiah's requests, including letters from the king, lumber to rebuild the wall and the homes in in Jerusalem, as well as military to help him uh, arrive safely there. And I just want to park there real quick and just take a little quick off-ramp to make sure you don't miss that point. Nehemiah prayed for four months. He had thought through, if I ever get a chance to talk to the king, here's what I want to say. Here are the things I need to ask for. I hope you'll remember that point as you go through, go through life. Let me, let me stop the story for a moment. You know, there are so many powerful themes in this story, but I don't know that any of them, at least in my view, are more relevant than the fact that Nehemiah had invested in a deep relationship with God. He had invested in a deep relationship with God. Regardless of the circumstances that he went through, he prayed. In fact, eight different times when you read the the story of Nehemiah, you'll see that he stopped what he was doing and he prayed. And so what what does having a deep relationship with God mean to us here today? I mean, we could obviously spend the rest of our time together just diving into that. But I think Nehemiah shows us a simple, powerful way to have a deep relationship with God through prayer. What would it look like for us if every day we could just thank God for the blessings that just brush by us every day and we don't even pay attention to them? What would it look like every day if we just shared some of our deep concerns every day? What would it look like if we said, God, I'm, I'm sorry for, for yesterday. I, will you forgive me for yesterday? Nehemiah had a deep relationship with God through prayer. But let me get back to the story. <clears throat> Nehemiah does go to Jerusalem, and uh, when he arrives there, he does something interesting. He's there for three days, and he doesn't tell anyone why he's there. In fact, he goes out at night on his horse and he surveys the ruins of the wall and he basically is building his plan of action. And then after those three days, he calls the town together. He has a town meeting. In the work vernacular, I think of this as being a big company meeting. Every employee is invited to this meeting to hear the vision of this new leader. And so Nehemiah shares his vision with him. It was a very simple vision in chapter 2. Of Nehemiah, he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Did you catch the nuances of that? Let us rebuild the wall so that we will no longer be in disgrace. This project was not about Nehemiah. It was about his, selfish, his unselfish desire to help the people 
rebuild their lives and to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now, can't you just imagine this scene? You know, the people are living in this dilapidated city with no protection. Some of them are actually uh, selling their children into slavery so that they can buy food. And here standing before them is this, is this guy who just shows up that wants to invest his life in them. He's like a ghost. And so Nehemiah then shares his plan with them. And again, it was a very simple plan. He said, we're all going to work on the wall. And we're going to work on the part of the wall that's directly in front of our homes. Isn't that a great idea? Everyone had some skin in the game. It would be like us saying, you know, I'll work on the sidewalk in my front yard. And so I can just imagine these people working with all their heart because they had this, these goals and these ideals that were so much bigger than just themselves. In fact, in chapter 3, Nehemiah mentions that almost every person helped with the wall, and, and there's a whole other story around the few that didn't. But he also mentions that some of the titles, if you will, of people who helped with the wall, and I just wanted to read some, with, read some to you because they make such great sense to us today. Nobles goldsmiths, perfume makers, rulers, merchants, all the kinds of titles, maybe with some different words, that we have in our life here today, all helping to rebuild this wall. And do you think that Nehemiah was out there on the wall helping them rebuild that wall, handing them another brick? You bet he was. Nehemiah was a perfect picture of a servant leader. He was a perfect picture of a servant leader. Let me tell you a great quick story about servant leadership that I witnessed several months ago. I was having uh, coffee with a man early in the morning at Chick-fil-A down in Fayetteville, and it was actually it was just pouring down raining. And I kept looking over his shoulder, and I saw this Chick-fil-A employee that was standing out in the rain with two umbrellas, and he's just drenched. And I noticed that every time a car would pull in the parking lot, he would run out to that car and walk the customer into the restaurant. I just thought that was an amazing example of servant leadership in the workplace. You think Nehemiah would have had an umbrella? You bet he would. Servant leadership is not heroic. Servant leadership is not heroic. And Jesus showed us that as well, didn't he? That regardless of our role in life or work or whatever, that we should humbly serve others. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Well, let me get back to the story. You know, you may be sitting there thinking, oh, this all sounds a little too good to be true. And if you're, if you're thinking that, you're exactly right. Literally from the day that the king allowed Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem, there were two Samaritan leaders that lived in the Jerusalem area that had it out for Nehemiah and for his vision. They did not want to see him succeed. And, you know, you would think that with Nehemiah's kind of unselfish answer to God's call on his life, that God would just kind of level the playing field for him, wouldn't you? Well, that's not the case. And that, is that the case in our life either? Five different times these two Samaritan leaders tried to stop the work on the wall. But Nehemiah would not be deterred. He would not allow fear or obstacles to get in his way. In fact, like so many great servant leaders, he rallied the troops 
when, the, when, when uh, these two men tried to stop the work on the wall, he rallied the troops and he gave them a speech. And when I read this speech in the Bible, it reminds me of Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart. Guys, most of you have seen that movie. He gives a speech, and here I'm going to read it to you. And I won't do nearly as good a job as I'm sure Nehemiah did. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And then some time goes by. And the Bible says, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. You know, we all have opposition in our lives, don't we? It comes in all kinds of different forms. But I think we all know that we have to know that we have an enemy. We have an enemy in our lives. And he just wants to turn our eyes away from God. There's a great scripture that someone shared with me several years ago that just gave me such a great visual image of the enemy. And I want to share it with you this morning. It's First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour his foe. Can you picture that? prowls around like a roaring, majestic lion looking to devour his foe. And I believe that the workplace is where he loves to set up camp because it's so easy to push our buttons at work. Well, unfortunately, Nehemiah's troubles were not over. Not only did he have this external opposition that we've talked about, he also had internal opposition. Sounds a little bit like office politics, maybe. Nehemiah learned that, uh, that the, the Jewish settlers had had to uh, literally mortgage their fields and their vineyards to their own wealthy countrymen in order to buy food, as I mentioned earlier. And they also had to sell some of their children into slavery to these same countrymen in order to pay the king's taxes. And as you might imagine, when Nehemiah heard about this, it didn't go over very well. In chapter 5, this is what he said. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. Let's stop right there. I love that phrase. I pondered them in my mind. Here's a leader that got some very bad news. He got mad. And instead of just immediately emotionally responding, he stopped. And he pondered. I think he probably prayed. And then he moved on with what he needed to do. And so the scripture says, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. What you are doing is not right. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury that you're charging them. And I thought the response of these men was interesting. It's almost like without blinking. They said, we will give it back. We will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Now, I want to I just stop here. and I want you to think about and imagine the courage that it took for Nehemiah to have that kind of integrity. These men that he called out 
They were the wealthy. They were the executives. They were the landowners. They were the movers and the shakers, if you will, around Jerusalem and and that area. It could have easily cost Nehemiah his job, if not his life, for standing up for his people. So here's the question I have for you this morning. Where is your integrity at work? Where is your integrity at work, especially in these difficult economic times that we're experiencing today? When the economic ground is literally shaking under our feet, will we do the right thing regardless of the consequences? I have a prayer that uh, over the years when I've gotten to take Dylan and his younger brother who's nine years old to school, we always pray this prayer when we, before we get out of the car. And I wanted to share it with you this morning. I learned it from Andy Stanley, who leads a large church in Atlanta. Many of you know him. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. Give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right. And the last four words are the hard part. Even when it's hard. Nehemiah was a man of great integrity. Well, there is so much more to this story. There are so many life lessons uh, that you can learn from the story of Nehemiah. And if you, if you haven't read you know, this story in a while, or maybe you hadn't read it at all like, like I hadn't several years ago, I, I want to encourage you to read it. It reads like a novel. There's some great life learnings in this, in this story. But I need to bring it to a close today. And I think you know how this part of the story ends, chapter 1 through chapter 7, don't you? Nehemiah and his band of Jewish settlers do, in fact, rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But here's the amazing part to this story. With all of the challenges and with all of the distractions and with all of the worry and anxiety, they finish rebuilding that wall, which is approximately one mile around the city of Jerusalem, in 52 days. 52 days. And when they finish the wall, this is what Nehemiah had to say. And if you got nothing else from this talk this morning, I want, you to, I want you to get this. The Scripture will be there for you to read. When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence. And here's the part I want you to get. Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. That this work had been done with the help of our God. Has your work been done with the help of our God? Let me close this morning by offering you a tool. I want to offer you a resource. When you came in this morning, you got your your bulletin, but you also got another piece of paper. I'd like you to pull that out. For the last two or three years, um, I've listened to hundreds of businessmen and women I've prayed, I've leaned into my own experiences, trying to determine what are the seven words, what are the seven things that we can focus on that help us make this faith and work integration easier. And so we created something we call uh, Work Matters Seven Pillars of Faith and Work. And I'm not going to 
go through all that with you this morning. But as you look at them, you will note that we've already talked about three of them, right? Relationship with God and others, integrity, and service, servant leadership. But here's the challenge that I have for you this morning. The document that you're looking at is a faith and work covenant. It's an opportunity for you to make a commitment to this, to this challenge, to this journey. And if you will, I want you to read along with me silently the bottom part of that covenant. I commit to regularly examine myself against these pillars. I commit to start by choosing one pillar to focus on. And I want to stop right there. Every time I share these pillars with people, almost always there's one of them that jumps off the page. Balance. Man. Is there a way that I can figure out how to maybe work a little less and spend a little more time with my family? Excellence. I can't tell you how many people, I know you see it too, how many people just go through the motions in their work and aren't thinking about doing their work with excellence. Like Colossians 3.23 says, doing your work with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever the pillar is that jumps off the page, Start by choosing one pillar to focus on. Then move through the others as God leads. And commit to share this decision with your spouse, friend, or a co-worker who will encourage you on this journey. And so here is my prayer for you this morning, that you will listen to what you think God is saying to you this morning on this subject about this covenant. And I'm not talking about signing it and dating it at the bottom and then go out to lunch and go home and pitch it on the coffee table or throw it in the trash. I'm talking about sticking it in your Bible. And tomorrow morning when you get up, start thinking about it. Look at those pillars. See which one jumps off the page. Start praying about it. See how God and the Word can help you improve in that particular area in your work. Nehemiah was an incredible servant leader. He had impeccable integrity. But most of all, he had a deep relationship with God. And he lived it in his work Monday through Friday. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we thank you for this story of Nehemiah. We thank you for, for heroes in the Bible, for people that we, can, that we can look up to, that we can relate to, that we can learn from. Thank you for that. And this morning, Father, as this new year launches with all of its busyness, give us a new vision. Give us new courage for how we can work with you Monday through Friday. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.